Hello, folks, and welcome back. I'm Simon Ward, your host for the High Performance Human Podcast. Each week, I'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier, and, of course, improving your triathlon performance. This week, I'm joined by one of our favorite Yorkshiremen, double Olympic gold medalist Alistair Brownlee. It's been two years since Al and I last chatted, and we have a quick catch-up on what's happened since 2019 before we talk about his new book, Relentless, The Secrets of the Sporting Elite. I can tell you're all excited to hear this one, so let's crack on and hear from the man himself. Welcome to the show, Alistair Brownlee. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How about you? Yeah, I'm okay. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. It's uh, it's a while since we've had you on. I think last time I came around to your house, probably in the summer before Kona 2019, and that was the last time we really um, crossed paths and had a long chat. So it uh, um, might be interesting just to catch up and, on what you've been doing since then. So, yeah, well, a lot's happened since then, obviously. It has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a whole lot's happened, hasn't it, to the whole world, which would have been challenging for you, no doubt, as well, the whole COVID situation. But um, before then, you you looked like you were struggling when you passed me with about half a mile to go to the finish in a lead drive. You and Lionel were trying to um, compete to see who was struggling most, I think, in that last mile. Uh, yeah, that feels like a long time ago now, um, thankfully. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, uh, two years ago. Um, yeah, that was at the Ironman in in Kona, and um, yeah, I, I was quite, I was confident, kind of going into that, and um, unfortunately, kind of didn't work out. I think uh, a combination of maybe um, maybe not having everything, all my ducks lined up, uh, and then also a bit of bad luck with the puncture and stuff as well definitely didn't help. Um, but that, but that it's a it's a tough race when you get it wrong. Um, thankfully, I learned quick and I did another Ironman. I think a couple of months after that, and that one went much better. Um, well, so yeah, I learned those lessons quickly. Yeah, you must have recovered quickly because you put in a, a pretty good performance there. Was Ironman West Australia, wasn't it? So did you go straight from Kona to Australia? Did you come back to the UK and then fly out there? Uh, no, I came home. Yeah, I actually came home and trained at home for that race. Um, it was in December and I trained kind of through November. Um, and I, yeah, I didn't kind of do a lot more. I, I did a few specific sessions over a few weeks and stuff. Um, I actually... I spent quite a bit of time went bike touring with my friends. Um, so we did some really long days just cycling and yeah, then did some specific sessions and just kind of really nailed in on what I was going to do nutrition wise and what I was going to do pacing wise. Um, and, and I was fit and healthy. So I kind of knew I didn't need to do mm. too much training. Um, did a bit of, a bit of warmth preparation because I knew it was going to be hot there and then went to Australia and, and cracked on with it. It's a fair few air miles you get through, isn't it? Doing Ironman if you if you're chasing the sort of wins and the qualification, because at that point it would have been about getting an early qualification for the Kona in 2020, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, it was a combination of a couple of things. It was yeah, early um, qualification because I knew at the time I was thinking right, I want to um, I want to be racing mostly short distance that the rest of the year, and then be able to switch to long distance. At the back end of the year so qualifying would help a lot um and i also had this feeling i really wanted to um i just felt like waking up the morning after after kona i was like do you know what i actually that was nowhere near what i was capable of on the day you know i was fit i was healthy i was kind of ready to go and i kind of felt frustrated so 
rather than being like, no, I never want to do another <laughs> distance race again. I thought, no, I want to do one as soon as possible. Um, and that was, that was kind of the next available one. So let's fast forward then. So 2020, um, as you say, it was about qualification for the Olympics. Not not quite, even even without COVID getting in the way and um, disrupting everything, wasn't quite the normal process, was it? Because we'd only really got two qualification slots for GB, um, which made it more difficult. Uh, and things didn't quite go your way, did they? Uh, you you had a, you ended up with an ankle problem, but that, how long had that been bothering you before? Um, before the racing in 2020 started? Uh, well, we've, we've missed a year here, as lots Are of we? people do in uh, with oh, the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, we have the year of 2020. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what, yeah, so sorry, right. In yeah. 2020, yeah. Uh, Johnny and me were, uh, yeah, we were away kind of training hard. Things were actually going really well. Um, training hard for the Olympics, we were in, in the States training altitude, and then obviously COVID hit, um, Everything got locked down. We came home and that was it in, in lockdown. I spent at home in, in Leeds. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, that lasted obviously right into the summer and then managed to do some racing, some kind of what was on, some a bit of World Cup racing at the back end of that year, which was which was good. And I enjoyed that. Um, and then going into 2020, but none of that obviously counted towards the Olympics. Um, then going into 2021, uh, obviously then my focus was... Um, all about qualifying for the Olympic Games, and yeah, I, I, everything was going fine. And um, after on a, it was a, a Sunday run on. I think in the end of March or early April, I started running and I had this pain in my ankle. And um, from from that point on, it basically didn't get better. Um, it was frustrating because um, I had an, an injury and an operation on the ankle in. 2015 so nearly six years before and hadn't had any problems since and um, then all of a sudden literally out of nowhere at the end of a, an easy week of training because things were going well um, mm. and uh, on an easy run this it, it hurt so much I ended up having to walk home and um, not finish the run um, and it, yeah that was, that was April and I, I was trying to get it better to, to to race and stuff but really I was in trouble so by the time I, I got to the my kind of last chance to put in a good race in in Leeds, it it just wasn't going to happen for me. Mm. Leeds turned out to be a not particularly <laughs> sort of good affair all round, didn't it? Because you got that you got that disqualification as well, and the red card from Donner as you crossed the line. Uh, yeah, that it was a really really bad day. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think the sensible person wouldn't have even raced there, but um, I felt like I had to give myself the chance. I'd done everything I, I could to try and um, get the ankle good to, to train, to do other types of cross training, to stay fit. Um, and it had been massively challenging. It was without a doubt the worst uh, few months I've ever had to endure. Um, so to be honest, when I crossed the line, I was just kind of happy it was over. Let's go back to 2020. Uh, you know, as, as we will talk about in your book, uh, the mindset of elite athletes, people often think, that you guys can cope with stuff more um, easily than a lot of other people, but that that COVID disrupted everything for everybody, didn't it? So how did it how did it impact you um, from a professional point of view, and how did it impact you personally? Well, yeah, I mean, it's there's the simple part of how it impacted me, which was uh, I was in the states training hard for the Olympic Games. Uh, I had to travel home, and then. Um, you know, all of a sudden, for the first time in a, in a lifetime, really, um, 
all of the uh, chances to race had just obviously dropped out of the calendar, and um, that was that. You know, that was a, that was a challenge. Um, there was a slightly more kind of simple uh, logistical uh, challenge, which is, as you know, you know, for a long time, uh, for most of my life, literally the majority of my life, I've got up and gone swimming with a squad every mm-hmm. morning, being given that um, the routine, and uh, that's how I've kind of lived my life. Um, and then all of a sudden. I realised that was um, that, that wasn't happening anymore, so I, I had to put that in. I um, had the had the endless pool, um, which is in a garage next to my house, and uh, said, right, you know, I'm going to be in the pool every at eight o'clock every morning. I'm going to write a session on the board, um, you know, set kind of really set the routine for myself, um, and that worked out. Um, that worked out quite well, and and then yeah, to, to, for a lot of that time, to be honest, I I enjoyed quite a um i enjoyed it. it less traveling got to spend time at home um we seemed to have really good weather mm. and um yeah it, it felt relaxing and a bit, bit of a kind of breath breath of fresh air um even though the there wasn't the, the the goals that i'm kind of used to training for so so that was tough but um yeah i, I feel like it it wasn't a terrible period for me now during that time um uh, following you on instagram as i and many other millions of people do i noticed that there was a lot more gravel riding popping up um you were really enjoying the the scott bike and uh, there were some beautiful pictures of you probably with a drone following you or something um in in your beloved yorkshire seeking out all the gravel paths and uh, in the last few months i mean i know you also mentioned the bike packing i know you've you've sort of done that every october haven't you gone a little bit of a, a trip at the end of the season but then um this year you seem to have got into it a little bit more perhaps um is that because you've struggled to run since your ankle up well yeah i've always done a bit i've always really enjoyed um exploring and traveling and um, there's something great about sitting off from your home and the simplicity of just having um a, a bit of kit with you and not too much and, and going to crack on to to explore wherever wherever you're exploring um and so yeah that so is that um obviously uh in yorkshire really that Kind of riding off-road riding on on something that looks like a road bike we've kind of called called it um rough stuff or cyclocross riding uh and then all of a sudden now it's called gravel riding yeah it's uh, not it's not really gravel riding in most of yorkshire is it <laughs> no uh yeah yeah absolutely right we don't really do gravel riding in yorkshire we've got a few little bits one of them's called the canal <laughs> yeah. and um yeah there's a very short gravel road i think i always joke that's um up near Ingleton, but apart from that, but you know it between Ostwick and Ingleton up there. Um, yeah. But apart from that, we don't. We just do rocky, uh, <laughs> sandstony, rough yeah. tracks, um, and yeah. So, but anyway, it's it's cool to explore new new places. And yeah, so fast forward to this year when I um, when my ankle. So I had a after the race in Leeds. I was like, well, it gives me a chance to get this ankle sorted. This has been very frustrating. Had the operation in June. Um, been slowly recovering from that and then I thought well this gives me the chance to um, do some other things that I don't normally get to do uh, and so I was actually talking to a friend and saying oh have you got any um, have you got any uh, any suggestions of the kind of thing I should do and he said yeah do um, there's this race coming up in 10 days time it's called uh, Badlands in Spain it's 750 kilometers and non-stop and I literally had no idea what I was letting myself in for but I thought yeah I'll uh I'll give that a go and um yeah that was it entered that 
And <laughs> yeah, it's very true that I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. Give us give us some of the highlights for those people who weren't following your progress. Yeah, so I um it was a real um a real steep learning curve for me. I, I did a bit of training. I, I really enjoyed kind of training for it. I went out for some really long, just long days in the Dales, just spending like 12 or 15 hours out on the bike, um, doing entire laps at the Yorkshire Dales, which was fantastic. And like you say, on the on the gravel roads, the hardest thing, I, I spent four or five hours out round horse in the middle of one of my rides. And it was just my arms were knackered from oh. the, uh, from, from the <laughs> yeah. let, let me guess, going down Cam High Road towards the Horse Valley, it's just, I mean, you'd be great on a full-sus mountain bike there, but we rode it last weekend in, a, mm-hmm. in an event and my gloves were wet and they just cut, my hands just kept slipping off the brakes, but you can't, you can't really let go, can you? Because it's just so rocky. Yeah, well, if you, so like, like Cam High Road, if you, like, do you mean the, like the spur that goes down to um, past Semawater? And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, cross, it crosses the road that goes Semawater and it keeps going yeah. down to the valley. Yeah. And there's a lovely bit of tarmac right on the top that someone's done yeah. really nicely that puts yeah. in a false sense of security. Yeah, exactly. That's it. exactly the word I was going to use, the false yeah. sense of security before you hit the rough stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a combination because there is some amazing, there is some, like a joke, yeah. there's actually some amazing trails um, in Yorkshire, uh, but there's some ones that are a bit tough on tough on the body as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, but Badlands, I kind of set off um, set off from Granada, uh, whatever it was, at, on a Sunday morning um, with this ride ahead of me. Kind of never doing any, done anything like this before. Kind of got all the advice I could with with the had the right kit and stuff. Um, and it was going great. I, I knew it was going to be hot. I knew it was going to be hard. Um, so for people who don't know that these things are non-stop, self-supported. You're not allowed to have any outside assistant assistance. You can stop for food and water and to buy stuff as you go along, but nothing else apart from that. And um, and you, it's non-stop. So you sleep on the go. And, and I, I thought, you know, I had stuff to sleep with me. Um, so set off and it was quite a, a tough pace and a serious amount of climbing. You know, it was, um, uh, well, I got told it was 50,000 meters of climbing. Um, no, 15,000 meters of climbing, sorry. Um, but when uh, it actually turned out to be 16,000, I think. <laughs> so you're, up, you're up near the Sierra Nevada, aren't you? Which is in itself on the road is um, um, a long climb. And you're at altitude when you get up that high because there's a, there's a, you're on quite a plateau for quite a while at quite a high. Uh, quite a big height yeah you? not you kind of go over one of the flanks of the sierra nevada and then go around some um of spain's deserts um and they are literally deserts we saw 45 degrees uh, and then you go up onto another mountain range which is a ridge um which is a famous climb on called velafique uh, which is further um to the east near almeria which is amazing actually it felt ri- they were proper beautiful gravel roads and i was up on that ridge at 2000 meters for maybe 50k or something really amazing really really beautiful place um but before i'd got there um when i was happily in the lead group and and thinking this is quite good i i got a a, i think it must have been a nail or a big phone double punctured my tire um and i i'd kind of had advice on tires had loads of ceiling in my tires um but as everyone probably knows once your tubeless tires uh go you're kind of in a bit of trouble 
So I then had a, a period of hours in this desert uh, where I changed my inner tube um, seven times, including mending. I had three or I think two or three. So I mended them various times, changed it, even borrowed one off someone. I swapped some uh, swapped an inner tube for some water in the middle of the desert. Um, but yeah, punctured every single one of those times. Um, and at one point had horrific cramping in both my hands uh, and had to get a salt sachet out of my bag because I'd been sat in this desert for four hours uh, in, in 40 plus degree heat. Um, anyway, I eventually managed to mend it at a, a bar, sleepy bar in um, in Spain with help from some of the other competitors by sticking stuff to the inside of the tyre, um, borrowing some oh, ceiling. How about wrappers? Yeah, no, I had, um, I had, I actually had stuff to stick, but I needed sealant and I needed um, the right kind of canister head to be able to inflate it and just managed to do that. Um, so that was on my way. Um, and then, yeah, I, uh, I was kind of riding faster than, than everyone and, and enjoying myself and then stopped and laid down and slept for five hours. Well, everyone, I didn't realize that all my competitors wouldn't sleep. So I wouldn't sleep very much. Um, and then after that carried on and yeah, I actually really loved it. It was brilliant. Um, really, really loved it. Uh, and then I got to like 20 K to go coming back up the flanks of the Sierra Nevada and it was really hot. And I got another puncture at that point. I didn't enjoy the last 20K, but until I got there, 730 kilometers of it, it was amazing. Really, really amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough for people to do. Mm, 57 hours. That's um, that's some riding though. That'll be the that'll be the longest ride you've ever done then, nonstop. Uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. Um, and I did some really long periods in it. Um, most of that second day, I... I I stopped a bit in the middle of the day, but then from then to um, 5 a.m., I think the next morning, I rode straight straight through. Um, but the guy who won, like, incredibly, I think whatever it was, 48, 49 hours or something, um, I think his stopping total stopping time was less than an hour, and that's to get food, to get water, to rest, all of those things, like less than an hour. And so you literally sat on your bike for all that time. Incredible. So, uh, and as people will see when they read your book about what makes people super great it never mentions uh, ability to go with the work with sleep deprivation no and it's something that i've told friends loads of times that i've no interest in doing events that include sleep deprivation uh, and i'm not sure i'd want to i'm not sure i'd want to go further than that kind of time frame to be honest but um yeah i well not that i had sleep deprivation i actually slept quite well <laughs> but um yeah a, a bit interesting thing for the future uh but coming back from that clearly it helped because you then went to norfolk and you your british gravel champion now yeah that was a that's a very different type of um mm. event like a two-hour race and it felt like kind of a cross between road racing and off-road racing where you're kind of cruising on gravel tracks and um it's quite untechnical uh and then you take a right on a really technical section and race and it was good i i really enjoyed that race and um yeah hopefully get to do more of it in the future mm. well let's talk about the book so uh, i've started reading it i confess i haven't got all the way through but i can see i'm going to be glued to it once i uh, once i get going so uh, um, i looked at the thing on amazon it says how long does it take to read this four hours and 20 minutes so no wow. doubt all the triathletes will be uh, trying to beat that <laughs> so i trying to outrace the sat nav yeah, that's. Uh, I'd be impressed if anyone can read it in four hours and twenty minutes. 
<laughs> you know what's going to happen now then, don't you? <laughs> okay, well, what was the inspiration for the book then? Um, and when when did you get the idea? Well, yeah, I think um, very soon after the Olympics in, in Rio, although I think probably the seeds of it uh, existed before then, um, I think, um, yeah, I, a combination of being really interested in sport uh, and other sports and what makes people tick uh, and how people approach things and, and how, how their kind of minds and techniques work. Um, and then kind of the realisation that I was in a in a, a really a very, very uh, privileged position to probably be able to reach out to some of these people um, and make conversations happen. And um, yeah, when, when, when I realized that I was like, fantastic. And let's, um, let's crack on and give it a go. You, you make a good point about that, that having a, having a gold medal or two around your neck, is like uh, getting on everybody's speed dial, isn't it? <laughs> to some extent not quite everyone's but <laughs> yeah uh, uh, it meant yeah i realized that i'm very lucky to be able to um to to probably get conversations that i might otherwise not be able to so uh, you explain you explain in, in your introduction uh, about the people you chose and you also ask people not to write in and say well you didn't choose this person didn't choose that person which I thought was a really good call but, but there were a couple of names in there that surprised me there were some there were some people I thought yeah good choice good choice oh yeah good choice mm. and then Dennis Irwin I, I I understand that he was uh, um, a consistent personality in the Alex Ferguson years but he wouldn't have been my automatic choice um, so what made you choose Dennis out of all of the other members that might have been um, like, I mean, you could have chosen Ryan Giggs, I suppose you could have chosen um, any, the, either the Neville brothers who were also permanents in that, in that group. I think in truth, it's a combination of, yeah, uh, obviously who you want to speak to uh, and having um, obviously logistics and at the same time, um, yeah, having a, having a story uh and kind of relevant uh and i realized quite quickly so i i think the first or one of the first ones i did was speaking to denise burton beryl burton's daughter mm. um and after having this really fixed idea of writing this book of going right this book's going to be a chapter on motivation conviction obsession etc etc and there's going to be an anecdote from me. There's going to be some anecdotes from other people. There's going to be some science and there's going to be a wrap up and that, that's a chapter. And I realized, I think of speaking to Denise um, and we, we went and we rode along the Beryl Burson cycleway from, from Nairsborough and we chatted about our mum uh, and it is just the most incredible, phenomenal story. Um, yeah. And I, I enjoyed, I realized, well, actually, I think the thing that I enjoy about this is um the story around it um and giving it context um and, and and that narrative um so it kind of came important that the kind of interview ease had a bit of that um and in Dennis Irwin's case is the Leeds link um right and the Leeds link is um obviously the the player but also he, he met his other half in Leeds um the the parents in law <laughs> Uh, still live really close to me <laughs> and so right. um, there's a link there and he, he travels to Leeds regularly mm. well if you're going to do something you've got to make it easy for yourself but that was that was one of my questions actually what what was the furthest you traveled to speak to somebody um I didn't go abroad um because of COVID I, one of the 
regrets is I would love to have gone to Norway to run with Killing Jornets, um, et cetera, that, that kind of thing. Um, so, and I didn't get a chance to do that. But I, yeah, all over the UK, every corner, right down to the London to meet Ronnie, probably. Did you talk in the book where you talk about Killing Jornet, you start off in the Lake District. So, did, did you meet him there when he was doing the Bob Graham round? No, I couldn't go. Um, where, when that happened, we, we were in touch around then and, and talking about it, and I couldn't go. Um, but yeah, that was that. That again, you know, that's I think that was the reason, or happened at the same time. Anyway, it was kind of a really nice um, segue. It's, yeah, I know he's this super famous, um, the world's most famous ultra runner, but at the same time, he's doing this challenge that obviously is very kind of connected in lots of ways to. The, the world that I've grown up in and a lot, mm. and a lot of the people that I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rob Rob Jeb must be, uh, you must know Rob Jeb quite well and he was doing the pacing, wasn't he, and organises all those for him. Yeah, yeah, I know Rob Jeb very well. Uh, and yeah, he uh, he was a pacer and he'd done his own um, his own attempt, I think, just a year before. So well, he, yeah. Up to that point, he had the second fastest time, didn't he, I think? Was it the second fastest? I know it was. I, I, yeah. thought, it, I thought it was. Is it Billy Bland had the first, didn't he? And, yeah. then, and, then, and then Rob Jebb was the second fastest until Killian's record. So still pretty mm. impressive. Very impressive. So you, you um, as I mentioned, I've not read it all, but I will say, and I said this before, I, I like your writing style. It feels like you're speaking to me. It's not written in sort of play, it, it, like BBC English, if you like, where it's, um, you know, it's like it feels like it's a book. It feels like it's you talking to me and there's there's little bits in, you know, you refer to yourself and there's little pa- there's little bits in uh, in brackets where you sort of say, well, of course, that didn't really happen. And so uh, I, I, I quite like that style. And I, and I think probably a lot of the readers will as well, because it feels quite relaxed and like we're on the journey with you. Um, so how, how did you sort of come by that? Because it's not, I wouldn't say it's entirely natural for a lot of people. Well, thank you. And um, yeah, my uh, English teachers at school all would be amazed that I ever wrote a book. So uh, <laughs> it's a very valid question. Um, I had a co-writer, Duncan, who um, gave me a lot of help, support, guidance. Um, and we started off very much, you know, kind of sitting kind of goals, targets, being like, yep, let's get this done by this date. Um, and then the writing style was very much and I've learned learned from him really, and he was um, he, he really helped me with that. Um, and, and that kind of conversational writing style, I guess, fits really nicely with having conversations. The, you know, the book is about having a series of conversations with people, mm-hmm. um, and I think makes it readable and and also makes it quite kind of um, relatively straightforward to um, to write. Mm. So you talk about setting goals there. Um, did you approach the writing of the book? Obviously, you've you've got you know you've got to get a certain amount of words down in order to get it done. You've got to meet a certain amount of people. There's research to do. Did you approach it in the same way you might um, train for an event? Yeah, very similar. Um, although it's done over a long period of time, maybe like doing um, maybe similar to an event in that in that case, done over a long period of time, and at the same time, it was. Um, like like anything a project like this um the last i think um three chapters had to be done um let's say a little bit faster than the others <laughs> so you how much time would you say you'd spent on the book each week then 
not 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 just writing, but also the interviewing. Um, clearly, even in the introduction, you make reference to um, quite a few books. So you've obviously read those. You've obviously a st- you're obviously not just a student, but you're also a sports fan, aren't you? Because I can tell that by when you refer to the people and some of the things that you get, you clearly get a you know a tingle in your spine from events that you've watched as you've been growing up and and since. Yeah. Um, well. I've got, I don't know in time, but easily it's hundreds, thousands of hours if you're including um, obviously research as well um, and the interviews. Um, And I I wouldn't say it was all work. I really enjoyed the process of sitting down, you know, writing bits and thinking, thinking about it. Um, But also the the research, there was, um, and I kind of very actively sought out people that uh, in sports that I don't know much about, I knew very little about um, the world of jump jockeys uh, before I sat down with first Richard Dunwoody uh, and we actually had dinner and then did the interview. And then he was kind enough to say um, he, he was staying at the Chevron hotel at the time. Actually, I said, I wanted to talk to him and he was just so happened to be passing with his family and we did the interview and then I went back and had dinner with him and his family that night uh, and then stayed and we just chatted over having a, having a few pints um, and that was brilliant I, you know again I was massively privileged to be able to uh, speak to people and, and and learn loads about sports that um, I really didn't know anything <laughs> really mm-hmm. about before uh, and then that you know led into the conversation with AP McCoy and yeah completely fascinated by um completely and utterly fascinated by those kind of those kind of events um that, that I, I i knew so little about before i mean you've had your bike crashes like we all have if you ride a bike regularly but those guys the amount of falls and crashes and broken bones that they have and then but then they don't sit and lick the wounds for a few days do they they've got broke ribs or broken collarbones and they're riding the next day and you think just the impact of a ton of horse flesh traveling at 30 miles an hour hitting the ground after a jump even if it lands it properly it's just I can't, I can't ever fathom the just the, you know, their pain thresholds. Yeah, it was that um, that, and it amazed me. Um, really did like uh, incredible what they what they go through and the fact that, yeah, I mean, you crash on a bike, but it's unlikely. I mean, it can be life or death. But on the whole, you know, you're un- unlucky if you do yourself really serious damage, um, especially in a race where there's no vehicles involved. Um, in horse racing, it can really can be life and death, and of all kinds of uh, stories of 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 uh, other colleagues dying. Um, but I think the other thing that amazed me with that is just the pure statistics of it, the numbers. Um, when you look at AP McCoy, and it's four and a half thousand race wins in a career, um, and he he says articulates really nicely. Yeah, but there's a lot more losses, um, and just when you're looking at those thousands of races, and you break it down to um, most days of the year, quite often three times in a day, um, there are just going to be quite a lot of falls. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so, you know, even if you do compare it to racing triathlon, it'd be, it'd be like, I don't know, something that you fall off a lot, like cyclocross racing and doing three of them a day for 200 days of a year uh, and then seeing, seeing how many times you get injured. Yeah, and, and it... it- you know, it's glamorous when you've got a Cheltenham Gold Cup win or you, you win the Grand National, but a wet weather, a wet Wednesday afternoon in, in November at Weatherby when there's 50 people and their dogs watching, it's uh, mm. and you've still got eight rides to do. It's not quite as glamorous, is it? 
exactly. And you've got to leave straight afterwards to get up to North Allerton or somewhere. Um, yeah. And, and you drive it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. So of all the people that you interviewed, which one of them provided you with the funniest moment? I'm not going to ask you who your favourite was and who was the hardest work because that would be unfair. But what was the funniest moment you had while you were, while you were sort of um, interviewing your, your guests? Uh, I don't know what the funniest moment. Um, I think one of the most surreal moments, and it was really cool, was um, uh, sat down with Ronnie, um, you know, because everyone is aware, or maybe triathletes around the world aren't so aware of um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, probably, you know, the super talented, um, the best, if not the best, nuka player of all time, um, or, or very close to being, and a character, massive character to boot. Um, uh, and he's got this incredible kind of media presence, I guess, um, an almost caricature of himself. Well, actually, no, he's a caricature of himself in probably a, a big percentage of interviews he does on, on the TV. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he even pretends to be a robot and all sorts. Um, and, and just sat down and chatting to him in a very relaxed setting in his mum's kitchen. Um, and yeah, we, we, you know, laughing about all sorts. He was, I was obviously really interested to, um talk to him what it was like when he's in in the in the zone and doing those um incredible breaks and uh asking him what it feels like when he gets told he's he's a genius and um talking about the ups and downs and the struggles that he's had of, of being in the public eye and the pressure that that's involved over such a long period of time um and he wanted to talk to me about running on the canal in sheffield um and that's what you know that's what what his kind of love is so um yeah, it was it, that was that was a brilliant, um, a really really good evening. Yeah, he's he's sort sort of like the modern day Alex Higgins, isn't he? If if I don't know if you you might have watched Pop Black when you were growing up, but Alex Higgins was this sort of black and white character, wasn't he? You know, absolute genius, but then would go completely off the rails for a bit. Yeah, he well, Ronnie actually says very nicely. Well, it's right at the start of that chapter, second chapter. Um, really, he, he doesn't like the term genius he feels it undermines um undermines the work he puts in and, and stuff um which is you know amazing to hear it was it was a great way to really start that book because i think if almost any performer um on any whatever kind of sporting event um i think if someone says genius skill genius sporting genius whatever i, I don't think many people wouldn't say Ronnie o'sullivan mm. Yeah. So that was your most surreal moment. What most surprised you out of all the all, all of the interviews that you did? Uh, there was a combination of things that you might be able to call surprises. There was um, some things that were completely new to me, um, and and I found really amazing. Um, and yeah, uh, and yeah, we're, we're very very different. Um, so maybe. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the way that um, so Denise Burton, who who's Beryl's daughter, um, Beryl, you know, this incredible cyclist uh, in the sixties and seventies, real trail uh, blazer for for women's athletes in the UK, better than most of the men. Unfortunately, died, and I was speaking to a daughter, and a daughter. They ended up at the, the stage where the daughter was and Beryl were racing in national titles. Um, and Denise just says in in the most brilliant way, talking about her mum that she was this incredibly focused, really, really, you know, obsessive uh, and incredibly selfish person, you know, right to the extent um, 
where she says things like, yeah, we're going to this race and I wasn't allowed in the car. I had to cycle to the race. Um, and then we get there and my dad, um, Charlie, wasn't allowed to be my mechanic. He was there only for my mum. And, you know, if I was saying that about uh, about Johnny in any shape or form or he was saying it about me, it would come across as bitter and twisted. And um, yeah. but she just said it in the most, this amazingly matter-of-fact way that that's who my mum was. That's what she was like. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I had to put up with it or not. And um, it, that that was incredible. And there was also things um, that, you know, I probably kind of knew and understood, um, but definitely couldn't articulate as well, um, as well as some of the people I spoke to. So I, I really liked um, the other football I spoke to was Michael Owen. Um, and he had this really nice way of talking about motivation and self-belief and he um he he said they were different because in his opinion self-belief uh was kind of set and um sorry self-belief and confidence and confidence was more transitory so it'd come and go and um the people who are great performers over long periods of time uh have really good self-belief um and they can afford their confidence to come and go to kind of wane with injuries or illness or, or whatever. Um, and then that's, I guess, an example of something that I kind of instinctively probably kind of understood, but never had a way of um, articulating it anywhere near as well as that. Mm. Did you find that there were bits of all of your guests then that were in you, or did you find yourself with an affinity to uh, certain ones of your guests thinking, oh, yeah, they're, they're more like me and they're less like me? definitely um a, a different amounts of affinity with different ones um and it was strange it was definitely really strange where that came from um you know you might just find it um you might just find it in the in the strangest of places um yeah like um so you know the obvious examples of endurance sport talking to chris Froome about suffering and complete focus of when he was at his best racing up a mountain, kind of what that felt and looked like and and, and what he had to go through. Um, and then there was things that might feel really far off. Um, so Ian Botham and Ian Botham talk about all kinds of things, but um, one of the things he talks about is his analogy of the torpedo and the tube, he called it. He said, once you, you've just got to follow the torpedo down the tube, um, which to me is something I've always believed in, I, I think in terms of conviction of, once you make a decision in, in sport and um, you're going to, uh, you, uh, you've made that decision, basically it's, um, it's success depends on how, how well you follow it out. And, and that comes from the conviction with which you, you, you go down the route. And um, I think that's what the analogy was telling me. <laughs> that's what I took from it anyway. It, it'd be really interesting uh, to, apply this same interview technique to successful business people and see how many commonalities there were in that because that whole torpedo and the tube your conviction to um, a business idea or purchasing a business or something uh, sounds very similar to some of the other people I know are in the business world mm, yeah definitely um, maybe there's another book <laughs> mm, maybe you mentioned that you were lucky enough to train with some of the athletes or they trained with you um can you say who they were? I've got actually. Let me see. Let me see. I made a list of who I thought out of that list might have might have worked out with you. You obviously did, you. Um, I put Killian Jorno, but clearly you didn't get to go with him. Shane Williams. I did a podcast with him recently, and he's super enthusiastic about triathlon. Mm. So I, I guess he wouldn't have passed up the opportunity to come out for a ride with you. 
Uh, well, actually, Shane is one of those that we um, we've been trying to hook up for a ride for a couple of years, and we've not managed to do it yet. But it'd be really good to do it at some point. He was great uh, to talk to. Really, really generous with his time, and really great. Everything that I wrote, I obviously sent to um, sent to everyone to to check out um, and just make sure you know I, I wanted it to be right, factually right, and, and correct, but also uh, definitely didn't want to be offending anyone or, or getting the wrong end of the, the stick so um and yeah some people i ended up having a, a great conversation with um you know about some of the um about some some of the the kind of points i'd made and they were like yeah that's you know interesting i hadn't thought of it like that or you know maybe this isn't quite right write it in a different way um and yeah got got some good feedback from shane mark, mark webber's a fit guy isn't he did you uh did you do any hangout with him at all I didn't, but I have in the past. Um, yeah. I'd like to more in the future. But yeah, he is a very fit guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about Froome or Cav? Have you, you ridden with them? I uh, think did you did you did some stuff with them, Team Sky, didn't you? Was it Mallorca when you went out and you and Johnny went out? Yeah. Then? Yeah, yeah. I think I have ridden with both of them at some point in the past. Um, so yeah, which is which is good. Uh, Cav's obviously got his link to North Yorkshire with his mum's family here. So he's mm-hmm. been here a bit um and yeah again I think, like i said in, in the book um in lots of ways i can really associate with the world that uh and the sporting world that cav grew up in um the world of bad dodgy northern weather um groups people just going out and, and training for the fun of it and, and and racing for the the fun of it on on um slippy and wet and muddy roads um and and that been the basis for training so yeah uh, again, that was you know kind of. It's always good to find those links. Just to tie something together now at the end, what what were the common? What were some of the common traits that you noticed with with your uh, with your um, with your guests? There's all kinds of common traits. Um, almost without fail, people um, talked about the genius kind of complex thing that we already talked about. Um, people obviously. So going on from that, the, the importance of of hard work. Um, and and people have raised it with me and said that you know there's probably a a bit of a a bias there in terms of yeah of course everyone's going to say it's down to hard work and, and not talent but yeah I don't know some of these people could turn around and say no didn't work that hard um, I um, the the other thing people talk about the the um, importance of having good people around you on the whole um, people talk. Uh, a lot about uh, being ad- adaptability over a long period of time. You know, most of these people I was talking to uh, were successful, you know, not just over a year here or there, but decades, um, multiple decades um, in, the, in the case of lots of them. And, and so the consistency of, of approach um, and the real kind of, uh, I guess, intrinsic need for doing it um, or reason for doing it. I think um, people people talked about um, and just finally, um, kind of learn. I talk a lot about this in the book about motivation um, because we, you know, motivation really, we say, uh, yeah, you know, I'm motivated by this or that or this race coming up and goal setting. And, and I've kind of always been a bit uncomfortable with that. Um, I think it's kind of a load of rubbish. We're, we're motivated by all kinds of different things at different times. And um, I, I learned, yeah, definitely not to judge people's forms of motivation because whatever works works for you uh, and at the same time I think that these people who are 
really good at what they do and they're doing it over a very long period of time um, need to have loads of different forms of motivation. And the, the real key is they know what, what type of motivation to tap into uh, to do what they need to do on that day. Um, and, and that's really what they're good at. Well, I think you make the point that some days you've got to use all of those motivations, haven't you, within one, within one sort of spell of 12 hours. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So to to answer, to, uh, to finish off then, you, you raised the question very early on in the introduction that you were hoping to find an answer to how and why you do what you do. So have you found an answer? Yeah, you, the fact that you can't really answer that question. It's the ultimate <laughs> pop-out, but um, it just has to be what you do. <laughs> one thing I didn't ask you at the beginning, Alistair, is are we going to see you racing next year? Um, are you, you know, how are you going with the rehab from your ankle problem now? And are you back running yet? And are we going to see you on the start line in Kona? I very much hope so. Um, I've been doing absolutely everything I can. Um, and yeah, at the moment it's good. I'm just trying to get in some solid winter training. Um, the ankle is, is seems quite good and I'm, I'm doing quite a bit of, a bit of training and yeah, I'm, really excited uh after yeah this year has been really frustrating as you can imagine um i'm really excited for yeah a, a whole season of long distance racing next year with a chance of two iron distance world championships um a sub seven project as well which is something i'm really enjoying um mm. with all kinds of projects we've got going on there to um just to see how fast it is possible to go um and then yeah the with the the PTA races as well, which I think are really exciting kind of format of racing at the moment. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Well, maybe maybe we'll loop back around again and talk about that sub seven on a, on another day. Yeah, look forward to it. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I know you're feeling a little bit under the weather, so thank you, thank you for being here. Um, good luck with the rehab, um, listeners. I'm enjoying the book and I'm only three pages in. So uh, I hope you have enjoyed what you've heard today and that you'll go out and get a copy as well. Tell us where they can get it, Alistair, before we leave. Uh, all good bookstores. <laughs> okay, a very diplomatic answer. Alistair Brownlee, <laughs> Yorkshireman, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you to Alistair for joining me on this week's show. There are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. I really do appreciate you listening to the High Performance Human podcast each week. And if you haven't joined the conversation yet, please subscribe for free on iTunes so you never miss a future episode. And also, please join our High Performance Human podcast Facebook page. Okay, that's all for this week. I'll be back in seven days' time with another great guest. For now... Please remember that being a high-performance human is a journey, so stay healthy, stay focused, and just keep trying to be a little bit better than yesterday. <laughs>